one of the crazy things about the last couple decades in filmmaking is that there's been this massive shift in medium from film to digital. And you'll hear people talk about it all the time. And with all the great DPs we talk about on this podcast, and we've been so blessed to have so many, this is a topic that frequently comes up because these legends, like my guest today, Darius Walski, they have shot through this era of change. So we're always curious to hear what they think about it, how it impacted their career, what decisions they made or didn't make. Darius has a really interesting version of all that because he was on the front lines and he's got some war stories because he was tossed into, by no choice of his own, the emergence of the digital 3D stuff. And because of the success of the films he's done and the category of filmmakers he collaborates with, he keeps having these opportunities, these situations where he's innovating on the fly, trying to figure it out as it goes and learning in the like truly in the fire. So it's very cool to hear him talk about it. I apologize because the quality of our audio is not great because he's on the set of House of Gucci currently with Ridley Scott and all the many stars in that film. So we had to do this via Zoom. So our audio is just not as crisp as usual. So bear with me. Um, it's also my audio isn't great. It's just the way it worked out. But I think the quality of what we get here is amazing. Darius has worked with Tim Burton, Ridley Scott, Paul Greengrass. And we talk about News of the World, which is Paul Greengrass's recent feature starring Tom Hanks. It's really good Western. I'm a Western fan, and it's it's great to see Westerns made on this scale by these filmmakers. But even if you don't care about all that, Darius is just a legend. Uh, he's shot every, everything from The Martian to Alien movies to, you know, Sweeney. T I mean, I just can't. You go on and on. Dark City, like The Crow. Uh, he's innovated. He's He's been Crimson Tide. I don't know. You just go down the list. The man is incredible, so we're blessed to have him here, um, and hopefully you enjoy. You've had an extremely long and illustrious career, but News of the World, working with uh, Paul Greengrass, it's a sort of a departure for him, certainly, to work with the cinematographer whose projects are like yours, um, and some of your style, because he's all about that kind of handheld, more frenetic. Um, and it's also a little bit, I noticed, of a departure in a Western. Uh, that's not typically the style. You know, John Ford kept things on sticks, eye level, all of that. What was it like collaborating with him on this project? Well, you know, I think you just mentioned it. He approached me because probably he wanted to depart a little bit from his style. Nevertheless, he's very, very strongly rooted in the documentary form, form of telling stories. So it was a combination of both, you know, it was, to, and I do respect very much what he's doing because there's something special about, you know, hand-holding and telling stories from the perspective of the main character. It's used dramatically in, in the movies that are just not purely documentaries. So when Paul came up with the Bourne movies, I mean, I've noticed them immediately and I found them interesting because, you know, I grew up also in the movies like Battle of Algiers and all this stuff that was happening. Yeah. People weren't running around with handheld cameras. So it's nothing really new. It's just kind of came back. 
and I come from a background of movies that are pretty kind of they're known, they're commercial and stylized and so forth and so forth. But even in those big commercial movies, I always try to stay true to like reality to in terms of lighting and approaching stuff. And even with Ridley Scott, who seems to be very kind of stylized director, our approach is very, very naturalistic. And if there's a great sunset, if something is happening in nature, we respond to it immediately, try to grab it, you know, and... And this was this on one hand we're very far apart, but on another hand pretty close, you know. So right, it wasn't, it wasn't that hard, you know. And I <laughs> spontaneity, and I love you know just coming, doing a lot of prep work, but at the same time, once you come on the set, you put it aside and you just still try to have a fresh eye, you know. People yeah, get caught his, with things they invent at home, and then they come in. The sun is in the wrong place. So why are we shooting this way? Just because. Right. Because you thought about it at home, you know, whatever, wherever you were at the time. And you were on location for the whole whole movie, right? The whole movie was shot in New Mexico on location, not a lot of sound stages, right? So was there a lot of adjusting to natural beauty, natural light, you know? Well, you just, you know, when you you do a location movie, you have a pretty good, like, lighting study. And you you do your lighting studies where sun is. and, And then also you look at the climate, you look at the... What was interesting that we were scouting in the summer in New Mexico, it's a high elevated desert. It's extremely hot and you have these beautiful tropical storms by the end of the day. So hmm. it starts in the morning with sunny day and then you can see those beautiful dramatic clouds gathering around and by like three or four in the afternoon, you have this huge wind and storm and it's super spectacular. And of course, you're doing this while you're prepping, and you know that by the time September, October comes, this is all going to be gone. You know. <laughs> also, the light will change, right? Because you'll have the yeah. angle. Yeah. yeah. But, you know. So on one hand, we missed our beautiful dramatic, dramatic skies as much as we could, but we've gained the fact that the sun was very low. So that's always great to shoot like this because it's. Um, Did you uh, choose that time of year because of the sun being low intentionally? No. No, it just worked out though. Yeah, it's because movie is greenlit at some point. <laughs> yeah, right. I was going to say it, it lucked after, out then because it's beautiful. I mean, Tom's available at some point. And, and, <laughs> right. You know, when is Tom Hanks free, basically? When I'm available and, you know, and it's, it's, it's a combination of this is, I wish, I wish. <laughs> the movie yeah. I wanted to ask also about a specific, there's a lot of sequences I want to ask about, but there's a chase and a gunfight that takes place on the rocks. It's a really well done sequence. And having seen a, a gunfight, a, a Western gunfight and chase is pretty much as, as like core to cinema and movie history as it gets. <laughs> so how do you, you know, it's a different, it's different, it's exciting. And it's not traditional to Greengrass's style either. It felt like you sort of a little bit somewhere else. Can you tell me about how you guys planned and, and shot it? Because it was really, I, I was not expecting to be surprised by a sequence like that at this, having seen, you know, ah, like I said. Right. I mean, I have to give it, give it to our stunt people and the second unit director, stunt coordinator. We were looking for this location uh, for quite a while. And there was a logistic problem when you have a wagon, it's going full speed. There are certain locations that are great for that. Then you want to have then you want to have them up in the mountains uh, and the right. rocks and stuff. 
So we were just looking for this place that the wagon can go as high up as it can, and then there's a natural transition. And unfortunately, geographically, it doesn't exist because it's either flat or it's too steep for the wagon to come up. So right. we found this one location that was actually pretty good to take the wagon as high up as we could. But then up on top wasn't that, it wasn't that interesting, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it wasn't good enough. And actually, Tom, a good thing about Paul, that he was adamant about this is just not great. At some point, we thought, oh, let's just add it, do it uh, digitally, add some more mountains in the background, make it more... While we started shooting, the stunt people were still looking for stuff and they found this incredible place. So we still used the original location for the, to run up the, the wagon as high as we could. And then, then there's a place when we basically, the wagon is, they get off the wagon and they drag their horse up and they stop. And that was in our prime location and we could shoot it. And I thank, see. Thank God there was a great location. So everything worked. I mean, it was a lot of climbing, hiking up and stuff because everything, the distances and, and elevations and stuff, it's all real. So that's why, that's, yeah. probably, that's probably why it works, you know? <laughs> it's not yeah, what we're, it's very well done. It sort of remind. it felt like it had a little bit of Anthony Mann or Bud Boddicker movies, Western style. All of this, it's, it's real. That's all. It's very simple. We yeah. have so many movies on blue screen that we can do whatever we want. That just, there is certain convenience if you have a blue screen because you can, you know, have somebody jump off the rock that's way too big or whatever. Yeah. Did the, did, so in a way, did the using the actual space or being limited to finding a real space force yes. a different kind of creativity yeah it calls because also there's a reality to it you know the actors have to really hike up there they have to hide it's all this stuff that really the only thing that's fake is the only thing that's digital is is the rock they're pushing with the legs you know because which is yeah good. yeah that's the only thing but everything else is real and once we got up on top i mean this whole vista all this it's real that's that's what it is and we were like yeah. you know stuck on the cliff with little monitors and stuff and and going down to the base camp and going up, just, you know, it's good that I could I think smoke. you can tell. I think it impacts the, like, and you can tell subconsciously. It's yeah. a great proof of the, oh, it's a great proof of what I always believed. And if you're in a real place, it's just going to translate, you know. It's going to translate emotionally in the film. And I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah, did you, um, I want to ask another part that felt that way to me is there's a, there's a sandstorm sequence. And I was watching it and I was thinking, I wonder if they if this was if they created this digitally. It looks pretty natural, so I don't think you did. But I but these days you can, I can never tell. So well, how did? No, the only digital shot is when he, when he runs up to the top of the mountain and you see this huge, huge storm coming. Right. Yes. That's digital, but once he gets engulfed in the dust, that's practical. Yeah. Oh really? So you set up fans? You blew the dust all around yeah, him? Yeah, we set up like several very strong reader fans and and we created like a little channel that 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 tom actually can function in because otherwise you'll be blown away so there was a bit of a channel that he i mean he was still affected by the sand because it's nowhere to avoid it completely but wasn't wasn't just completely impossible and putting a lot of sand behind and in front of them created the this i mean i, I had a little bit of experience with really because we did two big sandstorms i mean whatever another planet storms one of the Martian. <laughs> right it kind of reminded me visually of the martian during that section yeah martian and also in prometheus we did this huge storm you know when everything went oh right yeah uh, so 
so I had a little bit of experience with that. And of course, with Ridley, we were way more extreme. But we had people in Y. Also, also practical with on the Ridley ones oh, or partially? Yeah. I mean, of course, when you go to super wide shots, you have to fill up the gaps, you know, because you can't sure. so much debris. <laughs> but Does Ridley tend to, to look for practical ways to do things? Is that his lean? Is that his instinct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> original Alien, when, when it comes out, it was, according to Ridley, was, what was it, Fettuccine, Alfredo, and Silver Balls, you know. It's all, it's all real. It's all, you know. This, I mean, those, those people were creative, and I was a little bit a part of it, too, before the digital technology came up. You know. More real, you can make it, you know, the, the more believable it is. Yeah. Did you and Paul and any of the crew look at uh, Western, the famous Westerns, there's there obviously this, this movie has a lot. It draws, it's like a companion piece almost to The Searchers, which is one of the most famous Westerns ever made. There's a couple yeah, yeah. shots that look like a direct reference. Like, how, how did you guys talk about the influences course, and the history? Of course, Searchers, because also the story is a little bit, a little bit similar. Right. Carl is rescued from Keo Indians and, and, uh, uh, Natalie Wood was when she was kidnapped by Indians, right? Right. Uh, kind of similar story from with a totally different perspective because the Westerns from this era kind of aged a little bit. You know, we all have learned that the history was that whole mythology that was put upon us. You know, especially on me growing up in Eastern Europe, it was just like it was complete, incredible, totally believable. If it was complete fantasy, so we look at it totally differently. And this film was also a different tries to be more true to what was really going on up there. But yeah, of course, you cannot stop, you know, comparing everything. The minute you're there, you just start looking at those Westerns and stuff and, and, and strong silhouettes and big landscapes. And yeah. A little, yeah bit silhouettes. Less, a little bit less, you know, arc lights lighting into somebody's head, underneath somebody's head. But that's thanks to technology. We don't have to do that. <laughs> uh, well, also, another thing that just jumped out at me so much low light nighttime, like like almost no light sometimes where you were barely um, crafting just like a little piece in the room or just a face in the shadow, like, uh, and working with uh, the Alexa, right? You shot it all on Alexa? Yeah, it was actually, it was the first, it was one of the early Alexa LFs, you know, the, the, the 4K version one. Yeah. It was just kind of tricky because I talked to Ariflex and, they just came up with their camera and uh, I mentioned to producer they like to use it. And they said, okay. And then I was, wasn't quite sure if they're going to come up with enough cameras. <laughs> so that oh, was yeah. a bit of a nerve wracking moment, but they fantastically delivered everything. So it was great. And how, did you test it in low light to see kind of like, what am I going to be getting here? Well, if, if you, if you know the original one and you know, it's the same chip. Yeah. I did test it. Yeah, of course I did. Of yeah. course I did. But, but, but you, had the... you you go with quite a confidence because all of this is just a bigger chip, which means you're going to have more detail. That's all, you know. Yeah. But the latitude, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the same. And so, you know, I always push stuff to the limit. So it was, you know, it was quite amazing. You know, I've done several movies still on film with natural candles and flames and stuff. So all of this is just easier, you know. You're, you're sweating yeah. like Right, that's all because you see it. Uh, right, but, uh, so you don't worry that you're not exposing it properly because you're looking well, at it. 
<laughs> but you know, I mean, the pirates were shot was canceled still. That was what twenty, yeah, twelve years ago. So it's nothing new, but it's quite beautiful to be able to really minimize everything, just eliminate it, just to go as far as you can, and it shows. Yeah, your career started in music videos, um, so you've been shooting on a lot of different mediums. When did you make the shift? to shooting digital features. When, when was the first digital feature? When did you jump to like, okay, I'm going to use the area? I was kind of forced to it by, by something completely else. It was, it was Alice in Wonderland because the whole world, for some strange reason, thought that 3D is going to be a future, which I <laughs> never believed in it, but became, I became like a major victim of it because it was Alice in Wonderland, Pirates 4, Prometheus, Exodus and Martian, five movies in 3D. So I <laughs> suffered tremendously because of that. Uh, it, no, it required more, more, more thinking, and, but also not giving in to the whole 3D concept to still shoot movies that when you look at Martian, you don't care if it was 3D or not. It's still good. I didn't but, even know. I forgot that it was 3D. I, rem- yeah, I don't I know. think I saw it in 3D. Like, I'm, I'm glad you did because I'm not going <laughs> to... It's funny because I was going to say, I remember now that I'm thinking about it, I remember that, you know, for a while, the assumption was everything would be. And I remember personally thinking, no, we don't, people don't really want, need that. But, but so what was your thought process? Take me through the, the, the learning well, the, and the frustration. The first movie was Alice in Wonderland and technology wasn't there. It was still kind of, uh, to the point that we had to shoot it digitally because that was the concept of the film because most of it was supposed to be animated. It almost started like fully animated movie except, oh, maybe Johnny Depp. And then, oh, maybe Alice. (laughs) 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 So I was like, oh, maybe, maybe. Now now you have a full live action cast. So it's like, okay, maybe it's not exactly animated. So So the cast was real, everything else was animated. (laughs) So what happened was I was in London to shoot the opening scene of the film. And, and at that time, there was no cameras. There was, the only choice was Genesis, which was a Panavision thing. And right. was F23, which was Sony camera, which had a small chip, or like a 16 millimeter chip. And they were basically the same cameras, you know. And I opted for Genesis because of the bigger chip. So I can just, I figured more resolution. I mean, it was all guess, guesswork. I didn't, yeah. know, didn't know anything about it. And then there was a whole issue about, okay, Helena's going to have a big head. Okay, so we have to... <laughs> That's right. And Alice in Wonderland is going to be three feet tall, and then she's going to be super tight. So we have to be able to shoot scenes together and be able to blow uh. up. So imagine everything is 2K. And there's one camera that's 4K available at the time. It's hard to believe how, you know, now it's 8K, whatever. And there was a camera called Dalsa. It was very funny. There was a camera that somebody, I think it was a Hasselblad chip, chip that went to NASA, whatever. Some people had this camera. Okay, Dalsa, brilliant. 4K, we got to try So first of all, it was 4K. Nobody figured out they needed bigger lenses for that. Oh, so, no. Yeah. So, so they hired, they actually stole Dan Sasaki from Panavision to refurbish Leica lenses. And, ah. and, I, and I go there and I look at this camera and, and I want to look at the image. And 
And the way they were resolving image was so contrasting, horrible. So I said, listen, this is just awful. I said, no, no, it's fine. The chip is fine. It's like, what do you mean chip is fine? No, no, because chip is 4K, it's great, it's great. Yeah, but what I'm seeing, it's, it's like, it's like a contrasty, what, it's like the ectachrome or something, you know? Yeah. No, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> what do you mean, don't worry about it? I have to, finish, I have to shoot the movie. <laughs> I said to him, listen, you are completely out of your mind. You're going to be out of business in whatever, a few months. And then I swallowed it. I said, okay, we have to use the camera. So the VFX person from Sony created the software to be able to resolve the image so we could really see what we had. I so see. That's how not figured out the way. That's how not. Wow, it was like you had to do it kind of backwards. Like you just had to so, capture it somehow. But we had and no fix choice. It. But we had no choice. Yeah. So, so this, all this drama and, and the whole 3D, we use Vincent Pace, God bless his heart, you know, he was right off, right off Avatar. Everyone thought that this is just going to be the future because Avatar made billions of dollars. So. Right. So, and then you realize that his system is so unreliable. It's so unreliable. Everything right. was... James Cameron shot for three years. You know, he had all, every huge R&D. I mean, we have 50 shooting schedule, 50. Sh so, oh. like, wait a minute. Yeah. So... Last minute, we decided to not to shoot it 3D, to dimensionalize the film. So that was, and it was kind of made sense because all we were shooting is people and then, then sets were digital. So you had a lot of room to, to do it cleverly 3D in post. Yeah. And we looked at tests and stuff. So that was okay. So we're not shooting it. We know after doing all the tests with with 3D, which I've learned a lot about 3D doing through the process. I've learned a lot. Yeah. And then I'm in London. We're supposed to do the English stuff, and I'm doing looking at the tests and stuff. And and I had a I think I had a glass of wine for lunch in front of, and I called Tim. I said, Tim, I can't do it. Let's just shoot. Let's just shoot the beginning and then on film. And he said, Okay, fine, whatever you want. So all of a sudden, we're yeah. having a glass of wine to find out. Okay, guys, let's prep the film package now. <laughs> so so this is my beginning of digital work. So the beginning and end of Alice in Wonderland is on film. And okay. the minute she goes through the hall, she's fully digital and everything is digital. Yeah. So that was my first, first digital experience. And it's really too hard to get help because all these people who do digital at that at the time was Michael Mann and David Fincher who were who were doing this stuff and and David is collateral for, for Michael Mann, right? Collateral was one of the first Michael Mann he was shooting, you know, I don't know what he was using, Viper. And David yeah. using Viper. Yeah. It was just it was and I talked to Harris Sabidas a lot and he was struggling. It was it was difficult for us to, to, to get this thing work, you know. And Harris did a phenomenal job on Zodiac, how he managed to, because it was a really crappy camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he got out of it, it was incredible, yeah. I feel like, yeah, you were like a guinea pig then. You were forced to be a test DP in a way on a lot of these, right? Yeah. So then once we saw, the, once we saw you know, Later, once we saw the Alexa chip and, and, and even Red chip, was just like, wow, that's, that's going to work finally, you know. Yeah. 
what, then, was it for, was was Alice in Wonderland Tim Burton's first digital project? Yeah. yeah. Okay. How was he like? Uh, he was just sounds like he was always on your on your side in terms of how you wanted to approach it. He didn't have any. Well, he was overwhelmed by the stuff too. He was looking at me. I was looking at him. It's like, what are we doing? This is crazy. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like someone had an opinion on that. You know, it's not like I want to. No, no. It was something completely new that didn't quite work, you know. Right. And it was like one of those things. Let's just let's see what we can do with it. That's 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 yeah. what. It and sure enough, movie made a billion dollars. And and next thing, it's like you have to shoot everything three D. And and they all look at me. So. <laughs> <laughs> and did they all start calling you and saying, "How you?" And you were like, "I don't know. I just not want to do it that way." So the next movie was was uh, next movie was uh, Pirates of of the Caribbean number four and Jerry Brookhammer comes up to me and says, listen, we got to shoot three days. Like, what do you mean? It's crazy. Listen, we have to. So here we go. And that has to be real 3D. And that, but thank God, whatever, whatever I've learned on Alice was extremely helpful because I went back to Vincent Pace and we could prep everything properly. And so, yeah, tell me how you prepped Pirates 4. You shot all the first three too, right? First, the first three, three film. They were all real. Yeah. What's the film? Right. Not old school, just, you know. Yeah. I mean, I love that about the first one. It feels like an old school swashbuckler movie. <laughs> but so, uh, but by the time you got to four and Jerry Bruckheimer says it has to be 3D. No, because it was, learned... after, it was after Avatar and Pirate and, and Alice that made billions of dollars. So they all, they all look at numbers. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the book. So, so here we go. What did you bring to it knowing like, how did you approach it? How did you guys approach it differently? Well, not differently. I mean, continuously struggling with the same problem. You know, Vincent Pace, his rigs, they're not lining up perfectly. Then the issue was with cameras because Ariflex showed me the cameras and they, and this new Ariflex camera was amazing. This, uh, yeah, I mean, that chip was fine. And you look at this thing, okay, this is it. This is really going to compete with film. But at that stage, they did not have a co everything had to go to codex, so it had to be separate recording machine because they didn't have that. Uh, right. And uh, Scorsese was doing Hugo, right? Right. Three deals, and Scorsese was doing Hugo. We were scouting Hawaii, and we went to England to scout England because there were big stages there and stuff. And while we were scouting in England, I was supposed to go to Munich to test Alexa, but it was, it was all brand new. It was all just, mm -hmm. they just showed up a couple of Alexas in Las Vegas, I'm sure. There was all, so there was a plan. And all of a sudden, a volcano in Iceland erupts. So all the air travel is shut down in Europe. So we are stuck in the hotel in London for <laughs> 10 days and oh, nobody man. can go anywhere. And uh, actually, our VFX guy managed to get himself a taxi to Madrid and get on the plane because fly, for some reason, flights were still flying from Madrid. So taxi from London to Madrid was like probably 2,000 euros or something. Oh, wow. And the guy from Ariflex was in London. So I had lunch with him and we talked about it. And I said, okay, so maybe I can take a train to Munich. And he said... Yeah, but, you know, there's no reason because the cameras, all the cameras we have were in Las Vegas show that they're stuck in Las Vegas. They cannot fly. Uh -huh. to 
there's no cameras in Germany. <laughs> yeah. So you were all stuck in Germany with the cameras. And was it NAB? Were they at the at NAB for yeah, in Vegas? Yeah. yeah. So so then what happens is, and then Bob Richardson is prepping, and and Bob is using. He needs you need two cameras per rig because it's. Was easy. he shooting? Was he shooting Hugo? Hugo. So yeah. Yeah. It was pre- we were all prepping. We were all setting it up, and so he grabbed first four cameras, you know, which is two cameras. For pirates, we need four cameras, which me- means we- four rigs, which we me- means we need eight cameras. And then oh I my God. no, we cannot come up with those cameras. And then thank God David Fincher comes up with this little test. I remember my assistant who was in LA sends me this picture that Fincher did this test with red camera with Leo DiCaprio lighting up a cigarette. It was this really beautiful low light. I thought, oh, okay. Really? So, I've never yeah. heard about this. Which it's red just, was it? Oh, there was still the old red, yeah. There was and old Fincher red. just like grabbed DiCaprio and was like, I want to shoot a test with you. And DiCaprio said, sure. Like, what? <laughs> you know, there was, there, was, there was a famous shot of DiCaprio lighting a cigarette. And and I saw it. I I think I reached out to David. He showed it to me, and I said. So I said to my assistant Trevor Lumas, Trevor, you just go to those red people and just make sure that we're gonna do. It. And the pirates were still done on, on big reds, but while they were we were shooting on on the big reds, XMs, whatever they were called, they showed me the little ones, you know. And once I saw the little ones, I said, this is the future of 3D because it's small camera. I see. Because the whole problem is the size, so smaller body. Yes. So, so we basically made those rigs much smaller, you know. I and, see. And I stayed with Red through all my 3D movies, yeah. So Martian 2, like after Martian, that, Martian Prometheus. Well, last movie that I shot on Red, yeah. Yeah, okay, because of the smaller rig. It's funny, we were talking about like Westerns and John Ford, and I started thinking about the rigs they used on the... Uh, how the West was one, right? Because they had to put the three big cameras to create the one. The real Technicolor. Yeah. yeah but, oh, yeah, but, Technicolor, yeah. Yeah, they had three strips. You could space it. Yeah. Three magazines rolling, yeah. Yeah, yes. So it yeah. reminds me of that. So those, I, I'm just thinking about those DPs now, um, <laughs> shooting those movies. No, it's, not, it's so easy for the kids now. Come on. I mean, I, it's liberating. You can just, everybody can make a movie, you know. Right. I'm but thinking. you were really, so now, so, because, you know, now you don't have to suffer the the 3D workflow as much because <laughs> it's, it's gone out of favor. But so you, you tend to shoot, you've been shooting Alexa probably since, since Red, since Martian. Yeah. I mean, I did one, one movie for, for Netflix they wanted to, for, I did use Sony 55, which I really like too. Yeah. No, I mean, the cameras um, are, right now, cameras are amazing. I just don't understand why they're going like 6K, 8K. That's, that's not necessary, but the good 4K is plenty, and, and it's, it's pretty amazing, yeah. Um, with something like, I know this is sort of a, this is probably a common question these days, but with something like, especially the timing, if I could have seen um, News of the World in a theater, I would have, but I couldn't. <laughs> and I, I wonder know. how it feels to you know, shoot a movie like that that just belongs in a theater. Westerns belong on a big screen and know that, you know, nowadays there's such an emphasis on streaming, but with the pandemic, what's your feeling about, you know, the direction of things? Does it affect 
I guess my, my real question is, does it affect the way you shoot things ever that you guys know? No. No, you shoot the same thing. I mean, you, you shoot film, you shoot digital, you shoot the same thing. I mean, this whole, that's another discussion, film versus digital. I mean, it's photography. It's what you do with it. You know, it's like how, how you approach it. It's not the medium, you know. Right. But, but when you know, um, it's a pity well, most of our audience is going to watch it at home. Does it change the way you approach? Yeah, but what's, what's amazing is that, you know, those, those, those flat screens, as long as they set them up on the proper, you know, film look. Right. So that, that's a separate issue. But I think they're sorting it out. That, yeah. That, that, that it's not a football game. Uh, so once they set it up properly, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty good. And, of course, the big theater experience is unique. But in the same time, any time of COVID, I mean, like people who are screaming about, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that Mr. Nolan is complaining about this. And then I totally agree where she comes from, but in the same, he comes from, but at the same time, it's like, there's a bloody pandemic all over the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. It's like, no. hello, is this like director's ego or are we kind of like accepting what's happening in the world and just being a little bit humble about it? We yeah, are so, I agree. No, I agree. We are so fortunate that we're still employed, you know, regardless. You know, I go to LA, I do commercial, I'm essential worker, which is kind of makes you feel horribly guilty, you know. Yeah, no, I, I agree. All I this, agree. All this triple testing that we have when we shoot right now, it's like the teachers should have it. And, 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 and yeah. So the kids can go to school. I mean, there's like, it's, there's a bit of arrogance there. So you should, yeah. But I agree. This, but in the same time, there's something else is happening behind, this, behind the screen because what has happened to Hollywood, that Hollywood, because of expense and the whole system that movies promoted and expected to make first billion dollars first, in the uh, first couple of weeks, this pressure is so huge that you're eliminating any chance in any interesting script. So, so you end up having is, you know, the, the big franchise movies, you know, and... and and there's a, if there's a $50 million movie with interesting subject and story, it's like, I mean, I'm so lucky that I can do them. But it's, it's the art form that it's still kind of, I'm still trickling on the end of it because I work with, yeah. the, with the Scott, Paul Greengrass, you know, Tom Hanks. But, yeah. but the future is, and, and when, it, when you look at streaming television, sorry, it's way more interesting than anything I've seen in Hollywood. I mean, it is. And yeah. objectively... Maybe I'm part of the generation that grew up in, in the movie theaters, big screen and stuff, more than, than Chris Nolan, you know? And it's like, but at the same time, just like, wake up. Yeah, wake that's up. true. We're not going to be building Sistine Chapels anymore, you know, because it's, you know, it's just not happening, you know? Did you, you know, something like News of the World is like one of those, I mean, it's not a small movie at all, but it, but it feels like smaller. It's, it's not a big blockbuster IP. It's, but, but is it because Tom... Hanks and Paul Greengrass believe in doing the story that, that it happens. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Thank you. And mean, you, do you, how often do you get to do those? You know, like in your, you know, I mean, well, they come I'm, along I'm, a lot or. I am super, super uh, lucky because, you know, I, I did a bit of a franchise stuff with, with, with pirates and, and now I just, you know, I'm fortunate I work with Ridley Scott and all the money of the world was a small film. We just did the last duel, which was, was medium-sized, but, you know, very visual, big, 
uh, what do you call it, the 14th century, you know, Europe. And so, so we yeah. still movies, and it's like you. I mean, Scorsese made made Irishman for, and he's gonna do another movie for for Netflix because you know what? Because they want to give him money and they want him to make a film. If he would go with Killing of the Fry Moon to the studios, they would be scratching their heads for three years. <laughs> And he would never make it. <laughs> right. So, who, well, well, so who makes The Last Duel? Like, I'm excited about The Last Duel. Everything about it is exciting to me. Tell me, like... Last how, Duel was still, miraculously, was still Fox. Oh, and, wow. Uh, it was Fox, which is Disney. You're right. It, it's well, just, so was News of the great, World, right? They were great News of the World. Because they, just, they didn't know. Anyway, it's Matt Damon and Ben Affleck wrote a script and gave it to Ricky. And it's yeah. a story about a 14th century rape, which is kind of, even though it's 14th century, it's, everybody is in, you know, 14th century outfit and in French castles and beautiful, but it's, it has a very, very contemporary undertone. Yeah. yeah. Did you shoot it on the Alexa? Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see. I mean, for me as a film fan, seeing period movies that's an original concept, it's always exciting to see what artists like you and Ridley Scott do or Paul Brook Greengrass. But at the same time, young generation is doing amazing television. And it's like, hey, and there's a lot of young, great cameramen with great eye who are pushing the envelope and nobody's afraid of being dark and, and moody because, you know, back in the day, everyone was horrified that nobody's going to see anything on VHS. But now with technology, we can push much further, you know, people And House of, Gucci, House of Gucci is another one, right? That everybody's yeah. excited about. <laughs> um, it's a bit of, you know, it's like all over internet now, no matter how Yeah, far. it's a meme. <laughs> Everybody can't wait already because of that one picture. Um, yeah. But, you know, you were talking about TV, but you worked on uh, Raised by Wolves. Yeah. Right? My first... There was my first kind of thing with television, which I enjoyed because it was like, it's kind of like designing the whole thing, you know. So you, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. You design the look with Ridley and, and then you just give it to, to other people to finish. And I mean, I was like super fortunate that, you know, that Eric Messerschmidt, you know, finished it. So it's like, hey, I mean, Eric is now nominated for mine, you know. No, Eric, it's funny, the three of you on that, the C three DP credits is you, Eric Messerschmidt, and Ross Emery, who I also yeah. had on the podcast, who we talked a yeah. lot about a number of the projects you guys have done together, like Dark City. and <laughs> so oh, no. of... Ross, with Ross, we go back to Dark City. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, so that was kind of you tiptoeing into streaming, but it just, it does seem like you guys are just constantly, like there keeps being more um, in this, in this little, you know, window. No, I mean, it's a, it's a huge window. It's just like it has moved, you know. We're going to do... Napoleon was Ridley with Apple. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and Apple is writing a big check for that, you know, and working through Yeah, that's, that's what's great about the streaming services. Can you tell us who's going to be Napoleon? <laughs> or you can just tell me. I don't have to put it in there. Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, wow. That's going to be good. I can't wait. I haven't heard anything about that yet. That's amazing. No, when do you, are you prepping? No, no. I mean, Ridley is prepping in his mind, but we have to finish this one. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I can't no, but, it, but it's you know, it's 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 completely changing of the, the whole industry is turning around, and it's exciting. It's exciting. You know, it's because you can it, go to places like Apple 
or another or not a studio and get that money or like he did for uh flower moon like scorsese is yeah, um, yeah, filmmakers, right. yeah filmmakers like you can go to some of these streaming services and get the budget to make these kinds of movies yeah i mean that's and and that's what's going to happen you know and it's and 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 i think just as my theory and, and the theater is going to become something very exclusive you know and it's good, like, like going to opera or to going to theater. Like opera used yeah. to be like everyday events, you know. And right. In 18th, 19th century, it was, that was the, there were like fancy seats for first class for, for aristocracy. And then there were just the bottom pit for all the people, you know. Everyone was crying. Right. There, was a, there was a public entertainment, you know. Yeah, well, I hope, I hope that, everything works out with Napoleon and Apple puts it in theaters for at least a little while. Cause they do just but, like Netflix uh, did that. Yeah. I'm sure they, I'm sure they will. Yeah. Have. Right now we just have to wait out the COVID and, and yeah. Come back, you know, come back and you know, it's not going to go away. We just have to, you know, have vaccinations. Imp you said, I know we're, we're almost out of time, but have you said you, um, you're testing all the time on set. It's changed the way set works, but have vaccinations helped with, getting back on set and shooting or is it still pretty rigorous not, testing? Not really. I mean, of course, Ridley was vaccinated because he's at the age of uh, yeah. vaccination. I am almost in the age of vaccination, but I'm okay. And uh, I think in next movie, yes. But this yeah. is still, still based on all procedures, which is everyone yeah. is in, the, in the bubble, isolating and, and testing every, three times a week. Yeah, it's tough, but we're but, excited. You know, I'm glad... I'm it's not tough, actually, when you think of it, it's not tough because if you look at other industries, if they applied the same, True. if they had money to apply the same methodology, we wouldn't have this problem. Yes, I know. I thought about that. With, they were doing it so effectively with sports. It made you wonder, like, why isn't, you know, education, like you said, back up and running? Why isn't, like, if you could spend the money on for sports and it's completely fine, you know? I know. I know. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's how the... The world works, you know. It's so much. Right. Well, so this has been amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, my last question I, I always ask is, for people who are starting out and want to be a cinematographer, do you have any advice these days? What would you advise someone to do? It's a different world than it was when you started, obviously. No, it's not. A, it, you know, it's, it is it is a different world, technically. Yeah, technically. Sure. It's different. But I think it's easier now I mean, it's easier and difficult. It's easier because technology, it's easier to do it. You know, it's easier to sure. get the camera right now, still camera, Sony, and it's just equipment is so available, you know. In my days to shoot something on 35 was a huge expense, you know. So right. it's way more, you can edit it yourself, which was impossible. You have to have an editing room, you have to have a lab. You have to, so technically it's much easier. The problem you guys have is there's just such an abundance of that. And there's such yes. an abundance of the ways to get in. I don't know how you get in. I don't know. But I think it's like every generation has its own problems. But if you stick with it, it's going to happen, you know. And a bit of yeah. talent and a bit of you know, humility and a bit of pushiness when it's necessary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. Thank you again. Thanks so much for listening. As always, thank you, Darius, for coming on the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a rating, leave a comment, like, rate, and subscribe. 
Let us know what you think. Ask questions for our weekly podcast by emailing us at ask at nofilmschool.com. Make sure you subscribe so you get every podcast we do. Go over to nofilmschool.com and watch everything we're doing and read about all the stories we have in the news. And otherwise, we recently did a focus week. It was all about focus, autofocus, the Sony cinema cameras, and all the things you can do with them. There's a lot to explore and there's a couple podcasts to go with it as well. Thanks so much for listening.